Welcome back to the Board at the Box Office podcast. I'm here with our favorite guest, Montgomery. Hello. <laughs> and um, today we are talking about M. Night Shyamalan's Knock at the Cabin, based off a book I haven't read. Neither have I. We don't read books. <laughs> I read books. I only read nonfiction books. Shut up, pretentious okay. douche. <laughs> <laughs> We so, um, knock at the cabin directed by M Night Shyamalan. He, what else? Did he he did the Sixth Sense. He did Signs. That's the only two I've seen. You haven't seen the Sixth Sense? Mm-mm, no, I won't spoil it for you. Yeah, thank you. I'm probably never gonna see it, but that's okay. There's a very famous twist at the end. I I am aware that he has that this director has a reputation for suspense thrillers. Yeah. With bad dialogue, but we'll get into that later. Well, yeah. Um, Burn that bridge when we come to it. So, synopsis. Here's the synopsis for Knock at the Cabin. I wrote it down. Wow. Yeah, I got it printed out and everything. That's crazy. I'm prepared. Yeah, we're going further this time than we were last time. <laughs> so, th- this is the synopsis. While vacationing at a remote cabin in the woods, a young girl and her parents are taken hostage by four armed strangers who demand that they make an unthinkable choice to avert the apocalypse. Confused, scared, and with limited access to the outside world, the family must decide what they believe before all is lost. Dun dun dun. Yeah. Yeah. That that that, that did happen. Nah. That's how. Yeah, that's pretty much how it went. Um. So. Obviously, this movie was a thriller, and shocking. It was completely carried by the performances. I, honestly, performance of Dave Bautista, I would say. Dave Bautista was better than I was expecting him to be. Yeah, for for a role that was kind of poorly written, he definitely did the best he could with not a lot, and he brought a lot of depth to that character. Yes, which is which is strange, and, and it makes me it makes me question why almost all of his roles are like in action movies. Yeah, because he's showing that he can do more than that. Oh yeah, this, he, film. this was a very deep character. I think it was the deepest character in the movie, and it was Dave Bautista, mm-hmm. which I think speaks more about the and rest of the and, movie. and it's it's like could not be more different from the character he played in Glass Onion. Did you see that? Uh, no, he, I he like played like Jake Paul basically. He played. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't seen Glass Onion. Um, but yeah, I, I was really impressed with with his acting in this he he plays well i guess can't spoiler no this is the no, no spoiler section mm-hmm. but his character is you can he he's good at displaying the emotions of his character he is you can tell how his character feels like the it's it's hard to to play something somebody that's so conflicted over something i guess and he does it really well this he he plays confliction he does and it comes across it does and let's see what we got here so something that that starts early on is is M Night Shyamalan's tendency to show close-ups of faces early and often did you notice that yeah the the shots of people's faces comprise honestly a majority of scenes in the movie yeah. Like every scene in the movie has someone's face. Yeah, and you could like 
see their pores and everything. Yeah, like little. in great detail. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So obviously that's meant for something, but it's it's kind of a little bit jarring. Yeah, it's kind of irritating to yeah. it make it, it it made the movie feel very claustrophobic. Yeah, and but, I'll get into more than that I, later. I kind of I kind of want it to be claustrophobic in a way. They are stuck in, in a cabin, cabin right? Yeah. And th- and that's and you want to feel confined in that way. But what I didn't like and what I said during the movie is that there's there's flashbacks in the yes. movie that completely destroy this environment of claustrophobia and confinement. Yeah. When they go into a flashback, it just it com- it takes you out of this world and and gives you and some of it I thought was a little bit irrelevant context like. Yeah, a lot of it was. A lot of it just kind of didn't matter. Mm. Like, when I get into the spoiler section, I'll talk about how they wasted screen time with the flashbacks about a character who no one in the audience got attached to. Mm. So, <laughs> I just, I mean, we were the only two people in the audience. Oh, yeah, we um, we were we did have an empty theater. We had an empty theater. That was great. <clears throat> it was a lot of fun. Uh, the slushy machine was broken, so I walked into this movie irritated. Because I couldn't get my slushy Pepsi fix, and that's the only reason why I go to the movies. Because, yeah, that's that's all that's there for me. <laughs> so, the dialogue sucked. Yeah, it was just it was robotic. It, it was, was robotic. It was dialogue. Like like it was, uh, they 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 like. I think what this movie is an example of is a director not trusting his audience. Because in every single scene, it's like they explained it to us. Like they explained yeah. the theme of the movie. They at the end, the the big reveal. They just, I mean, said it. <laughs> they they just said it basically. Like it, I I don't know. It it just. I feel like a director needs to have more trust in the audience to understand the movie rather than to just tell it to us. If you yeah, if you missed the point of the movie, that's your fault. Right. If it's well written, but this movie isn't well written because and it feels like it feels like Chat GPT wrote the it, dialogue. That, that's what I was thinking. I was out earlier. I was like, yeah, it sounds like AI wrote this dialogue. Like it, it doesn't seem like something a real. The things that they say to each other, a lot of times, don't seem like real human interactions. Yeah, and like, that's just the screenwriter's fault. Yeah, like recently, recently, you know. I asked ChatGPT how to impress girls. <laughs> and when I did, it, it gave me some interesting advice, but it, it, it worded the advice in a very technical way. It said, you know, be attentive to the interests of the person which you desire. And it felt like that's the kind of line that we're dealing with. Mm-hmm. You know, show, show an interest and aptitude for the things that she enjoys. Like... <laughs> I just it, it it felt like that, and it was annoying because it, I cannot believe that two people are in love or that they love their kid when the way that they talk to each other and their kid is the way that like my shrink talks to me, you know. God, you're ridiculous. Do you agree? I agree. Yes. The, my favorite part was like. When Dave Bautista was like talking about grasshoppers, he was like, "I'm pretty good at catching grasshoppers, aren't I?" And 
he just said some really freaking weird stuff about grasshoppers. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. That is not how people talk. Like, and 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 so Dave Bautista's character should not talk to people that way. And I guess when we get to spoilers, we can like discuss why that is. But I, I feel like the majority of this podcast will involve spoilers, just because this movie is so. It's hard to talk about a thriller without talking about what happens in the thriller. Right. It's not like Avatar, you know, my previous encounter with this podcast where much of the movie was the way that it was written and the way or the way that it was filmed and the the animation and stuff. This movie sort of had a lot to do with its dialogue. Yeah. It really relied on its dialogue and I think that as far as cinematography goes, it succeeded because at the beginning of the movie before I saw the first flashback I felt trapped just like the other people did. And mm-hmm. I felt anxiety. And that, I guess that's the point. I felt I was thrilled, you could say. <laughs> you know, I was getting my fix. But soon after that, I just kind of became bored with it. Yeah. Well, if you've been listening to this podcast, you know something I hate is long run times for movies. Yes. And something that I really appreciated about this one is the short runtime. It, it was only 100 minutes, an hour and 40. It was not long. And it it felt like a perfect perfect length for it. Yes. It didn't, nothing was drawn out. I don't no, it like wasn't drawn out. It, was, it felt right, and it ended at the right time. It did. So that is – something can be said for that. Like I – I appreciate that. Yeah, in, this in this I mean this movie was like a solid B minus, and that's really the worst part <laughs> is that so much potential. Yeah, right? it easily could have been a very interesting movie, right? And it could have had me at the edge of my seat, you know, mm-hmm. about to pee my pants on the Pepsi I mean, that I drank. The concept's great, and I liked the concept, and I liked the, I guess, mystery that at first surrounded the characters there. Mm-hmm. But then the characters... And they just reveal themselves. Explain yeah. using like the most technical English possible exactly what they were there to do. And then did it. <laughs> and as an audience member, it felt like that... Like that robbed the experience of its mysticism for me. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of walked out of the movie theater going, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was suspenseful, but I don't know. I never could quite take it seriously when people started talking. Yeah. So, that being said, you want to finish up the spoiler free? Mm-hmm. Let's go to a little, what do we normally do? Spoilers. I get, out of 10. Yeah, out of 10. Hmm. You said a B minus. Wouldn't that be an, I don't know. That'd be an 8, but that'd be an 8 because that would be 80%. Like I would say, I would say that it was a seven or an eight. It wasn't because yeah. I gave Avatar a six. This has to be an eight. Yeah, I'll give it a seven. I right. I liked it. I mean, I liked it. I liked it. it. I, the whole time I was just thinking like it could it could be so much better. Though. Yeah, like this is not what I would consider to be a makeout movie, <laughs> where you go to that movie specifically to this makeout or do whatever it is you want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a movie that you go see to watch it, and then. When I left the theater, I wished I had been making out. And so I felt like I had wasted my time. Wow. 
So that's what makes it an eight for me. Because otherwise, profound, it was really good. Profound. I know. Stuff right it's there. The, the smartest thing I've ever said. <laughs> All right. We're starting spoilers now. Go away if, if you haven't seen it yet or you care. Yeah. Okay. Spoiler time. Now we can talk about anything we want. Like Clear Love? What? Yeah. Yes, that so plays a big part in this movie. So this movie, importantly, took place between two gay dudes and their adopted daughter, mm-hmm. who was uh, the do- the adopted daughter is her own character that we will have to talk about because I liked her. The the movie was definitely trying to say something about homophobia and and um, bigotry, but it didn't really land for me. Like I didn't, I don't know. Maybe they should have explained that part out loud, like they did all the. Yeah, other they should stuff. have said homophobia is bad, <laughs> instead of just letting the audience see that, like these two people are in love, and like they love their daughter, which they clearly don't, because they're like written where it doesn't feel like they do like like i, I don't talk to her like, in a, like a loving way yeah it's so weird yeah they talk to her like an adult even though she's like maybe she's like seven, seven. Yeah. yeah and and they talk to each other i they, they talk to each other like they are like on a first date almost mm-hmm like they don't seem to no, know each other. There was absolutely no chemistry between the actors. No, there wasn't. I mean, they don't seem to know each other. And you can't like I am a progressive 21st century moviegoer, meaning I want to see queer love if I can buy that those two people are in love. I don't really like romantic movies because rarely can I buy that two people are in love in a movie. Like ra- rarely do, rarely does romance affect way me. Of looking at it, because I, I I see I watch a lot of war movies. War movies are my thing, and in war mm. movies, there's always like a romance aspect, and I hate it every time because I never can buy that. Just focus on the violence. Yeah, I can. Well, that, and I can never really, I can never really buy that. Like these two people care about each other because they never act like they do. Because I, I haven't experienced these characters enough to know them well enough to see how they would act if they didn't care about each other which Mm -hmm. is why to me romance is only possible if you are building a franchise that will encompass multiple installments that will sell it to me recently i've been watching a lot of harry potter and (laughs) seeing the harry potter cast grow up together and then in the later movies, you see them start to make romantic attachments to each other. I can buy that because I've seen them go through everything that has made them feel the way they do. And I understand that this movie also understands this because they try to do, they try to do that through flashbacks. Mm-hmm. But the flashbacks break the spell of the claustrophobia that they mm-hmm. that they cast on the audience in the beginning. And that, to me, is what they're, makes... They're sacrificing something much more important right. to fulfill something less important. Like, if you if you showed me these two people and you said, okay, these two people love each other, and I would say prove it. And then as the movie would continue going 
and you were to show me like the breakdown of their relationship in the face of the literal end of the world, I would walk out of the movie going, holy crap, that was profound. Mm-hmm. But I just didn't. Yeah. I just didn't. Because one of the one it is implied that one of the end of the world people, Rupert Grint, Ron Weasley from Harry Potter. <laughs> so ironic. Which we love that. that but, the, the openly homophobic character yeah, like, in this does, movie is played by a Harry Potter actor. It doesn't get it, better than Yeah, that. you can't make that up. So good. But the openly homie, ho- homophobic, the openly homophobic character played by Rupert Grint, who I don't even remember his name, apparently... Redmond? Yeah, apparently, like, does, like, an anti-gay hate crime in a bar that, like, significantly affects the lives of each person, but they're otherwise successful and their lives are otherwise perfect, and so I don't see... Like, there's no tragedy in it other than that it happened. Mm Mm-hmm. And that usually isn't where tragedy like that is derived. And so it just felt to me like they were trying to show me this thing that I would disagree with so that I would think that that person is evil. And like, sure, I thought that this person was evil, but not really because he was also the first one to get killed. Like the way that the, the, the movie worked, the way that it would propel itself forward is that each time the family would refuse to sacrifice one of them for the apocalypse one of the four horsemen of the apocalypse would have to be killed by the other three and the homophobic one was the first one to die so Hmm. he had maybe 20 minutes of screen time definitely not definitely less like like maybe yeah like probably closer to 10 minutes of screen time and so i just didn't i don't know i didn't care about him I didn't understand why he had done the things that he did. I didn't understand why it mattered that he was that he was there. Like there well, I think I think why it was it was kind of like a red herring in a sense that it made the the couple think that oh, we know this guy, he's already done something to us. This is just a homophobic ploy to, you know, kill us or you know torture us because we're gay but see it's I didn't, not a credible apocalypse that's that's what the point of that was that felt weak to me just because of the way that dave bautista introduced himself like yeah. dave bautista's just in, seemed so genuine like, initial interaction with the daughter and then his interaction with the two dudes really made me like question why the writers would even suggest that like homophobic hate crimes were a possibility. Yeah. Just because I mean, it like clearly wasn't that. The, yeah, if if the only reason why there was I don't know, the it creates conflict in the audience like whether or not they're credible. Yeah. Like the the apocalypse people, but the biggest the biggest thing that in their favor to believe them is Dave Bautista, like how convincing and empathetic he yeah. is, his character is yeah. in the movie. Dave Bautista played what is the character's name? a second grader from Chicago. Second his name was teacher. Leonard. Second grade teacher. Second grade teacher and coach, like youth coach from I Chicago. I my coach. I bet he's such a good basketball coach. His name was Leonard. 
and he was a big buff dude with tattoos who knows how to feel the soul. Mm-hmm. He, he's he got that ability to empathize with anyone, and so he immediately makes a connection with the daughter. And he talks to the daughter like she's a kid. And then her parents talk to her like she is an adult. She's not an adult. She is not an adult. And she, emotionally speaking, handles the apocalypse situation better than her parents do either because she's supposed to be that way or because she doesn't realize what's going on Mm -hmm. and i don't think it's the latter because no one really tries to protect her yeah she just gets exposed to it and the like the 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 two gay guys have vastly different personalities Mm -hmm. like one is very practical and the other one is strongly More implied emotional. to be religious. Yeah. And so he is the one who goes out of his way to protect the daughter because he is the one who realizes like the fact that they may not they may be telling the truth because he's inclined to believe those things. Mhm. Yeah. And so like the fact that they don't ever fight with each other about it is frustrating because there was no there was there wasn't any conflict between the family itself yeah and that's really i think what they were going for is that of course there wouldn't be conflict between the apocalypse people there would be conflict between the family itself. Like one of them would believe it and the other one wouldn't. And the other one wouldn't and it would be a whole thing. And that it starts out that way. And then that kind of just fizzles out and they don't they don't go any they don't go further with it. Yeah. I mean which what's frustrating to me is like how well of course they they keep saying no. Yeah. To sacrificing somebody. And then another one of the apocalypse people dies gets killed violently we love the violence and then uh, people around the world suffer because of it which inferred inferredly and we don't really i mean there's a tsunami and then planes like suffer mechanical failures and fall to the sky and explode real real basic apocalypse stuff yeah, and then, and then the planes, like the CGI, it looks like in Microsoft Paint when you drag something from the top of the screen to the bottom, the planes <laughs> just kind of like linearly go, yeah. and then splat. And so that was kind of funny. Like I almost laughed because of how <laughs> like fake those effects looked. The coolest scene in the movie was the, the tsunami scene. Yeah. Tsunamis are cool unless you're unless you're going to get killed by yeah, one. Unless you're, yeah. But, I mean, tsunamis are cool. We I thought that that was sick. Um. And I just I don't know I didn't really buy. I don't know I the the biggest thing for me was was the ending like the the way the ending was written. So because like so at the end they say no for a final time and Dave Bautista is the last one and he kills himself. He kills himself and then the he says all of humanity has been judged and that like starts the final stage of the apocalypse. But he's like you have a you have a few more moments if you if you decide to to do it you can still save the world and then at the end they're like after he died then they, then they're like oh i believe him now 
they're the four horsemen of the apocalypse and they and each one of them was a was <laughs> yeah was a different and they were and they're like all of a sudden they believed him after they went through the trouble of killing four people and millions of others have been killed and have been killed because they of their waited they waited long enough to make a decision which they eventually made they eventually you know which sacrifice they made one of immediately them. and then the decision and without on which yeah one without even sacrifice. hesitating like they they decided that they were that the people are right all along after they did all this damage. It's just kind of frustrating. And and the, the homophobic attack thing was an excuse for the gay guy to break his stereotype as a gay guy and own a pistol. Yeah. Because he, ha- he has a pistol in his car. Right. And, and like, they show him buying the pistol, and he's, like, literally going, I want to kill him. <laughs> like holding it in the gun store, and I was like, that, that is a red flag. Yeah, you do not sell a pistol like, to a that guy is... who's shaking as he's holding it. Yeah, like he that is like the... tears in his eyes. Like that guy like, does He's not... either gonna kill himself or someone else or both. You don't sell him that yeah. pistol. And then and the gun and the gun owner was like, I don't know, a thousand dollars is a thousand dollars and sells him the you know, the P thirty the Sig P thirty, you know, Marine Corps pistol or whatever, and then he takes that John and, st- and stuffs it in his car. And so the the homophobic like attack thing like it serves two purposes. It unites the audience politically, or you know, either for or against the movie, whatever. And it also gives the writers an excuse to make this guy have a pistol. My question is, why? Like why? Like if you if you were to tell me that someone were to bring a pistol with them when they went to the middle of the woods in Pennsylvania, I would go okay. I would also do that. Yeah. Because you know, there's meth heads crack hair yeah, crack heads that, and bears that's that what you're saying goes along with with everything else that i noticed about this movie is just the fact that nothing is left to your imagination every single part of this movie every single part of these guys personalities that's yeah. it's all explained like they they tell you why every person yeah. is the way they are there's no mystery to it everybody's actions are explained by their past experiences everybody's personality is yeah is completely explained the characters are like oh this this lady the reason why she's emotional is because she has a kid at home yeah the reason why you know he has a gun is because he was attacked before the reason why he's religious is because the way he was brought up by his parents who don't you know help that don't don't support his his relationship which is it's it's, all explained and then at the end of the movie it does not matter they just explain the the theme of the movie they're just like yeah so um people shouldn't you know, blah blah blah, because of the apocalypse. And I mean, I don't know. It's and then just, the and then writing like, just made me upset because of like, how cut and dry it was. Like I just wanted something to be left to the imagination, something to be thought of. I mean, after a movie, I want to be able to interpret it myself. I want to be then, able to take my own meaning from it. There was none of that to be yeah. had in this movie. And there was, and they showed us what happened. Like, like uh, Daddy Eric. Okay, Daddy Eric was the religious guy, right? I, mm-hmm. I, I had to pull that out of my out of my hat because I forgot all of the all of the names because I mm-hmm. saw this movie like three weeks ago. But Daddy Eric um was the one who got killed and Daddy Andrew shot him. And Daddy Andrew didn't want to shoot him until Daddy Eric said, You will run a successful law firm if I die. 
that is like that's it that's all the convincing it took him like throughout the whole movie he was like no i'm not gonna kill you no we don't believe this no i don't believe this no i don't believe this and then the religious guy says no actually this is the apocalypse you should shoot me because you'll run a successful law firm daddy andrew is like success <laughs> barely even know her and it's like shot like shot the other dude it was never a question whether they would kill the kid and i didn't like that I wanted to see them debate oh, about killing the kid. They should kill the kid. I wanted to see some evil. No one in this movie was evil. Yeah. Like, the guy who did the homophobic attack was drunk. Mm-hmm. So, whether or not he... And he seemed he seemed reformed by the time that yeah. he was in this movie. Yeah and, he, yeah, and he also didn't act like a drunk who would hate gay people in the movie. He just acted like someone who had, like, emotional damage. And maybe he did. They didn't explain that, right? which is surprising considering that, you know, they explained everything else. But no one in this movie was evil. There wasn't a bad guy. And I wanted there to be one. There was almost no conflict because there wasn't a bad guy. <laughs> like, I don't so know. Something that I didn't quite understand was when they were explaining the situation, does, is, to somebody, was the idea that is a family has to make a choice like this often? And that, like, it's a reoccurring thing that happens. That's kind of like, I was talking to other people that saw it, and, and they were, I don't know, the idea I got was that this is something that happens all the time. A family has to make a choice, and they always choose to sacrifice somebody, and that's why the world is still... That would make sense. I mean, the way that it ha- the way that the movie explains it is that four people have visions of a specific place, Instead of seeing a shrink, they believe the visions, yeah. and they go there, and mm-hmm. then they construct rudimentary weapons from the 5th century to commit murder with, and mm-hmm. then they do, and then someone always chooses to sacrifice someone else, and they didn't realize that yeah. it would be a... They didn't. So, like, what I got from it is that, like, nat- like dis- natural disasters and tragedies, the explanation for them, according to this movie, is that... A family said no on on to sacrificing one of themselves. So you're telling me that Pearl Harbor and 9/11 were right. caused by someone's exactly. refusal? Like that's that's what I got from this movie. It's like the pandemic, like COVID and and 9/11 and all those things that those happen because a family was was in this situation and they refused to sacrifice one of themselves on the first try. You know that brings up another try. point. If all the evil in the world happens because someone says no, then does evil exist? See, this is this is what I wanted from the movie. This is this is this discussion here. Like and like <laughs> the movie explains so much that I didn't even think about that being a possibility. Like the way the movie explained it is we're here, we're doing our thing, this is the end of the world, this is what it is. Mm-hmm. And and it felt like a very one and done kind of thing. Yeah, but it, I just, yeah, I just wanted I wanted more mystery. That's if, what this movie was missing. But it was like, missing it was missing stuff to be imagined to yourself. It was missing self interpretation. It, it just explained everything to you, and that's why. And that goes along with the dialogue. Like the dialogue was written in a way that it wasn't personal, it wasn't you know emotional. It was just very robotic, very and bland. explanative. Yeah, and it and it just informed you of what was going on instead of showing you what was going on with with human words. Yeah. And that's my biggest complaint with this movie. If, if it was written differently, it would have been a lot better. It would have been so good. 
Well, I guess every movie would if it was written. But I mean, the dialogue. If the way the characters talk, that's the movie was was completely um, guided by dialogue. I mean, it's a it's a dialogue driven movie. Yeah. And it was missing good dialogue, which brought the movie down as a whole. Yeah, and like 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 I said before, like this is this wasn't a makeout movie. Like you you needed to pay attention in order to get it, but. Like Avatar: The Way of the Water, that was a makeout movie. If I if I had been kissing the entire time that I watched that movie, I would have missed nothing, because most of it was the shots of the landscape. Mm-hmm. But in this movie, if I had done that, then I would have missed significant portions of explanation, and then the movie would have been better. Yeah. Like the ex this this whole movie was this exposition, and I just it it felt very overexposed. I just I don't know. I didn't like it. <laughs> you didn't like this movie. I didn't. I didn't you like it. You gave it an eight out of ten. That's my objective rating. I didn't like it, but it was fine. I mean, it's good. Yeah, I mean, it was. It was well made. Yeah. It wasn't written very well. I, I, it was. It was short. Thank God. Yeah, I mean, I. I think the cinematography was like I. I really like the idea of like the claustrophobic cabin movie, um, which yeah. forces it to be dialogue driven, obviously, because there's not a lot of set going on. Yeah, it is hard to pull a movie like this off well, yeah. and I and I respect that. You know, yeah. I, I I'm a good I guy. I respect the challenge. Yeah, I mean that the, that Shyamalan took on. This is an A for effort kind of thing, but also uh, why? Like, mm-hmm. why did you do this? But I'm also glad that they didn't try to make it too funny or anything like that either. Yeah, like, it's such a. It's, it yeah. sucks when like they try they ruin a thriller movie with a bunch of dumb jokes like Disney like yeah. Marvel yeah that's mm-hmm. that's what I was referring to yeah <laughs> yeah listen I'm I'm acting like the movie where I I explain everything if you if you if you infer something people will be like I don't know what that means and then I'll be like it's Marvel it's it's Disney <laughs> so um, final thoughts on knock at the cabin it's fine fine it's fine. We're getting we're we're watching too many fine movies. I'm, honestly, I mean the best the best movie that I've talked about on this podcast was definitely Puss in Boots. Easily, I'm tired of I'm tired of watching freaking seven and eight out of ten or six and seven out of ten movies. I want to want to see something good. See, man. I see. I decided to go hang out with my girlfriend on that day, and so I wasn't here for the Puss in Boots podcast. Yeah, that easily easily the best movie that I've I've watched for the purpose of this podcast. Easily. Yeah, I have so much better than Avatar. I I've seen Avatar and I saw Knock at the Cabin. I mean, I didn't pay for the tickets, thank goodness. Thank you. Thank you. Kiss kiss. So I just, you know, I don't know. It doesn't bother you me. You don't feel like you're you're giving away your money to evil conglomerates. Yeah. I feel I I feel morally sound even though I'm wasting my time. <laughs> even though it, it's not a waste of time because it's senior project. You're spending time with me. Yeah, it's it's cute. We're bonding. Yeah, and I think I could beg you for service hours for this, like I'm pretty sure. And then and then your mom or your dad could be like, "Yeah." But that would be cheap. Yeah, that would be cheap. Cheap. That would be that would be cheap. All right, let's talk about the Oscars now. The Oscars. So, the 95th Annual Academy Awards is coming up, and since this is a movie podcast, it's only right that we talk about the nominations a little bit. I, 
probably know more than Monty does about this. So mm-hmm. I'm gonna I'm just gonna give go through a couple categories, give my picks, like who I think's gonna win, then I'll give my who I want to win, and then we'll just kinda talk about that a little bit. So actor in a leading role. Austin Butler for Elvis, Colin Farrell for Banshees and Inishirin, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Paul Meskel for After Sun, and Bill, I don't know, I, he's not winning. So, <laughs> um, this one, I think it's a lock for Brendan Fraser and The Whale. Did you see that? Mm-mm, it no. was, he, it's his, you know, his big comeback role for him. He's going to, I think it's a lock that he wins that, and I think he should win that. Um, Colin Farrell, Austin Butler, obviously good in those two movies. I didn't like the Elvis movie, but Austin Butler definitely went all out with the method acting there. Paul Meskel, I'm so glad he got that nomination. He's not going to win, but I love him, and I'm glad he got that. But Brendan Fraser is going to win actor in a leading role. I'm I'm like 95% confidence, and if he doesn't win, it's going to be probably Austin Butler. And you'll cry. And I'll cry, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Brendan Fraser needs this. It's cute. Um, actor in a supporting role, Brendan Gleeson for Banshees of Inishirin, Judd Hirsch for The Fablemans, Barry Keegan for Banshees of Inishirin, and Kay Hui Kwan for Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. I definitely want... Um, I'm really glad Banshees got two nominations for this one. Um, Brendan Gleeson and, and Barry Keegan. Barry Keegan played a really... Um, small role in that movie but obviously he's a great actor and he got that nomination which is impressive i think that once again i pick and want k hoi kwan for everything everywhere all at once um this is this was a comeback role for him too you know he was like um have you seen goonies Mm -mm. no god man i don't watch you gotta see goonies um this is a comeback role for him too. He's a, a child actor, and he came back as an adult. It's his first role in years in this movie, and he killed it. So I think that would be cool to see him win that too. Um, actress in a leading role, we got Kate Blanchett for Tar, Anna De Armas for Blonde. I'm surprised that kind of nomination that movie was horrendous, but she did do well in that. Um, Andrea Riseborough. For two Leslie, Michelle Williams for the Fablemans, and Michelle Yao for everything, everywhere, all at once. So, I think Kate Blanchett is going to win for Tar. Um, or Michelle Yao. I'm going to pick Kate Blanchett to win. I want Michelle Williams from the Fablemans to win, though. I think she was really good in that. Um, even though that wasn't my favorite movie. Actress in a supporting role, it's going to be Angela Bassett from Black Panther Wakanda Forever, I bet. Um, she's going against Hong Chow and the Whale, Carrie Condon for Banshees of Inishirin, Jamie Lee Curtis for Everything Everywhere All at Once, and Stephanie Hsu for Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, it's going to be, I pick and support Angela Bassett. She carried that Black Panther movie, which was underwhelming. I didn't see that movie either. That was the first one I talked about. I did that one alone. Uh, she was the best part of that movie. I talked about that on my podcast, too. She, She's going to win that, I think. It's cute. It's real cute. Cinematography. It's got to be 
so the nominations are all quiet on the Western Front. Bardo, False Chronicle of the Handful of Truce, Elvis, Empire of Light, and Tar. I'm very, very surprised that Avatar and Everywhere, Everything All Once did not get nominations for this. That's insane. Yeah, Avatar seems like the movie that would. Right. I mean, obviously they're going to win, like, um, film editing, maybe. Or, no, they didn't get nominated for that either. They got... They got nominated for something. I saw them on there. Yeah. Well, oh, they visual effects. I mean, sorry. Yeah. Um, they will They will win visual effects. Cinematography, I think it's going to go to All Quiet. Um, All Quiet on the Western Front had a huge day nomination-wise. Like, they, they're going to have a big day. They, they surprised everybody. The Academy really, really loved that movie. So I think they're going to have an easy time. Definitely going to win Best Cinematography. I, um, yeah, I mean, I'll take that over the other movies, too. I, I didn't see Tar. Empire of Light was good. But it's all quiet on the Western Front. Cinematography. Costume design. Babylon, Black Panther, Elvis, everything, everywhere, all at once. Miss Harris goes to Paris. I think... I'm. I want Babylon to win, but I don't think Babylon's going to take home anything. I think it's probably going to be Black Panther, just because. Yeah. They got to give it to Black Panther. Um, directing. I think Banshees of Inisherin, and Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Triangle of Sadness. I'm glad Triangle of Sadness got a nomination. Um, The Fablemans is going to win. Steven Spielberg. For a while, it looked like. This that movie was going to win Best Picture. I don't think it's going to win Best Picture anymore, but um, it's definitely going to get something for Steven Spielberg because he he really wanted an Oscar with this one. So I think it's going to go to him for directing. Steven. 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 Um, let's see. Skip a couple of those boring ones. Original score. Surprised Avatar is not also there. Yeah. I'm thinking, so the nominations are All Quiet on the Western Front, Babylon, The Banshees of Inisherin, Everywhere, or Everything Everywhere All at Once, and The Fablemans. All Quiet is my bet. Yeah, I've seen all five of those. I think the ones where the movies, the movie made, uh, the, the music made the movie, or enhanced the movie the best would be probably All Quiet on the Western Front, but I think the movie, the that that's where the music enhanced the movie the best but the best music was babylon yeah probably um let's see babylon and then the, the music in um avatar was really good i'm really surprised to not see it there hmm. yeah then the music was distinct and made the movie less boring much less boring visual effects is going to go to avatar that mm-hmm. also the batman got a nomination for visual effects which obviously makes me happy Batman. Um, visual effects is going to go to Avatar, though, and I pick Avatar. Adapted screenplay. All Quiet on the Western Front. Glass Onion gets a nomination here. Top Gun Maverick. Women Talking and Living. I think that's going to be another win for All Quiet. I'm glad Glass Onion got a nomination, though. Original ske- screenplay. Banshees of Inisherin, Everything Everywhere All at Once. The Fablemans, Tar, and Triangle of Sadness. I think that's going to be Banshees of Inisherin, probably my favorite, my favorite one out of those. When it comes to writing, everything all at once is probably going to win though. 
And then, of course, Best Picture, the big one. We got a lot of nominations. All Quiet on the Western Front, Avatar The Way of Water, The Banshees of Inishirin, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, Triangle of Sadness, and Women Talking. What do you think? How many of those have you seen? I have seen Avatar, and I have seen Top Gun Maverick. And I have read reviews of All Quiet, but I haven't seen it. I think Top Gun Maverick is a sleeper for Best Picture. I don't think it'll win, but it's a sleeper. Like it, it has a chance. I think it's it was. If you good. would have told me that Top Gun Maverick would have even been nominated for Best Picture before I saw it, I would have said you're crazy. But that movie was so good. That movie was really good. So good. And I would. I mean, Top Gun Maverick was almost a perfect movie. Yeah, for what it is. For what yeah. it is, and I think that. Top Gun Maverick and All Qu- All Quiet and Everything Everywhere are the two, are the three that are most likely to win. The I'd say the the ones that are right now the favorite is Everything Everywhere All at Once. Yeah, um, that's the favorite. Um, if you got money, put it on that one. But there was a time where The Fablemans was the favorite, but the the campaign for Banshees of Inisherin and um, I would even say probably Top Gun have in All Quiet on the Western Front have surpassed the Fablemans. I'm going to say the winner is going to be Everything Everywhere All at Once. The sleeper, I'd say who I want to win, Banshees of Inisherin, I think, is the best movie of the year. I haven't seen Banshees of Inisherin. So I think every everything everywhere is, is going to win. Everything everywhere is the villain of this year's Oscars, in my opinion. Like they're gonna, they're getting everything. They're gonna, yeah, they're getting everything. And it was it was like the first movie I saw in 2022, or I, I don't know the first, but I, as I remember, as soon as I watched, I was like, oh, this is going to win Best Picture. And I and I and I was like, and I was kind of set upset about it. I was like, I know there's going to be, but it's just it's just meant for this kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I haven't seen it, but I've heard that it's pretty good. I'm really surprised that Nope, directed by Jordan Peele, got zero nominations, which is strange. I wasn't aware that that movie existed. Because so. it was very, very critically acclaimed and loved, and it got nothing. So that's strange. Does anyone um, care about what the critics think? Honestly. Well, those are my thoughts. I think your best picture is going to be everything, everywhere, all at once. But my, I hope that... Banshees gets the nod. That would be great. Um, and you know, if, if Bonnie Raitt can win Best Song at the Grammys, then there there Anything can be some have. some yeah. upsets here. Yeah. Absolutely. All right, that's it. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Board at the Box Office with me and Mr. Monty. Hello. We'll be back soon. So uh, see you later. Goodbye.